Welcome back. You're doing less once again. John and Jeff are here to bring you the latest news about who's doing too much. And uh, we got some extra spicy news for you today. Uh, oh, yeah. And by spicy, I mean S&P. Because the S&P puts the S&P into... <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I just came off of that came up with that off the top of my head, so but we're that was, rolling, uh, so that was pretty good, John, I have to say. Uh, yeah. You come up with that all by yourself? Yep. So why don't you yeah. tell us about this uh this stock market and uh the valuations. Uh, no foreplay, John, we're just gonna go right into it. I did a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I see how you feel. Uh yeah, I mean again, it's been a uh, an extra week because I don't know if you can tell, but I got a little sick. Um, apparently my immune system is taking my advice way too literally and doing a lot less. Um, I get sick a lot, but we came across an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that said um, the number, the percentage of companies listed on the S and P. So, for those of you who aren't stock nerds and don't know much about stonks, um, the S&P 500 stands for the Standard and Poor 500, and that name doesn't tell you anything more than what it stands for, but uh, basically all it is is the fo- top 500, basically it's the, bi- it's the biggest companies, um, all the obvious ones are on there, like, you know, Google... Amazon, Apple, all those big boys. Um, And so this article in the Wall Street Journal came out saying that 40% of companies listed on the S&P 500 uh, have lost money over the last 12 months. Okay. So is that like companies or is that what do they is that just like a quarter of losses or is that like net loss? I think it's a net loss over 12 months. And this is the highest it's been since the late 1990s, which was just coming out of a recession. Um, And also approaching what was known as the dot-com bubble. And so John and I have our theories about why this might be occurring, but this is a pretty alarming number, if you ask me, because companies are supposed to make money. (laughs) Uh, And so when they, public companies especially, it's, those are companies that have generally proven themselves to be valuable and able to make money. And so if 40%, which is almost half of the biggest companies, at least as far as people are valuating them. So, I mean, this is something we can make a distinction between, but the market cap of a company, what people value it at, isn't necessarily an indication of how valuable the company is. It's just how valuable people think it is or are willing to pay for it, right? And so companies, a company that loses money, if it, if a company since its inception loses money all the way to the end of it, that company is not worth anything to anyone. 
Like <laughs> that company is worth z- zero, right? It's worth less, less than zero. zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like no one would ever pay money for a company that they that never made money and they thought never will. Like that a company like that no one would pay for cuz there's infinite of those. There's an infinite number of companies that can just never make money. It's it's very easy to come <laughs> up with a company that doesn't make money. Right? And so like money losing companies are not something that have value. And yes, this is just one year period. It's over the past 12 months. But if half almost half of the companies the biggest companies in America, or at least the biggest public companies, right? Because these are only the public ones. They're not the private ones. If almost half of them lost money in the last year, that's that's pretty alarming to me, especially because considering they're the biggest ones, they should be making money. The And to tie it back to the S&P 500 um, as like a index, which is what it is, the reason that it's these companies are lumped together is... When you lump them all together and kind of average their their stock price, you can kind of mm-hmm. get a trend of what the overall economy is doing, uh, roughly. Well, you gotta it's more accurately what the stock market is doing, right? So forty mm-hmm. percent of the five hundred biggest companies are losing money on a year over year basis, then what what would you expect of their stock prices? You I mean forty percent losing it, that doesn't say anything about the magnitude of the losses or the magnitude of the profits of the money-making companies. But you would mm-hmm. roughly expect, you know, what, sideways to maybe increasing a little bit. Right. Um, that's like, to, to, to if it was truly tracking the profits, which, the sto- which buying a stock, investing in a stock, we'll get into this in a bit because I have a thought experiment I want to take us on. But uh, when you buy a stock, you're you're... You're purchasing a share of the net cash flow of the company. You're purchasing a share of the net profit over in the future of the mm-hmm. of the company. If you were to purchase shares of the S and P five hundred, the average of all these companies, right? And it's mm-hmm. they're proving that they're losing money. You'd expect that the the future prop the future expectation of profits for those companies would be re- reflecting that. But if you've also been paying attention to the news, you've probably also realized that that's not the case. This the broad mm-hmm. stock market, the S and P five hundred specifically, is up around twenty nine percent in the past year. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's had a record year, actually not a record year, but it's one of the best years in the stock market in history. That's just we're we're trying to paint a picture for you in this intro of this kind of disconnect between profits, which is what buying stock in a company is tied to and prices of stocks which is which have been going up right and so like the question you should first ask yourself is like why would anyone buy a stock you could just spend that money on anything else right so why would why would you take your hard-earned money and buy stocks with it well the idea of buying a stock is if a company earns money, right? They have profits. You own a piece of that company. That stock is a is a claim on a portion of that company. So you get a portion of their earnings. And so if a company has earnings, there's a couple things they can do with them. 
right? So one thing they can do is they can just give that money directly to the shareholders, and that's called a dividend, right? So if you bought a stock for, let's say, $100, and they give out a dividend from their earnings every quarter, and let's say they give like $5 in their dividend. Well, they usually give a percentage of their earnings, but let's say it it averages out to $5 because they make money, and that's you've generally been getting a $5 dividend from this company. Well, then four times a year, you're going to get $5. So they're going to give you $20 in a year. And then after five years, if they are consistent with their dividend, you'll have gotten your money back. Okay. So you took that $100 and you made $100 with it. Okay. And then if you keep holding that stock and they keep making money, you're going to keep earning that dividend and you're just going to keep earning money indefinitely. And then your money's start already paid for itself and it's going to keep earning you money indefinitely that you can use to spend on other things, right? So that money that you could have used to buy other stuff you want is now earning you more money in the future that you can get, right? But this involves risk because you don't necessarily know if a company is going to be able to consistently earn money, right? So that's part of what goes into valuating stocks is like how how well has this company established itself at making money and how much am I willing to pay for their uh, shares is going to reflect how likely I think they're going to be able to make money. That's going to earn me money, right? Um, and let's say even if the company doesn't give out dividends, not every company does, uh, they're going to take that money and invest it back into the company, which should increase their ability to generate even more profits in the future, which should increase the price of their uh, shares. And then that price increase uh, is an increase in the value of your portfolio. So if you were to sell uh, the share after its increased price, you could take that difference in its prices, and then that's profit that you get to keep. So whether they give that money in the form, whether they give those earnings to you in the form of a dividend or they invest it back into their company and then you sell that stock at a higher price, either way, you have earned money by giving your money to a company that, or, not, or bought a share of a company that earns money, right? But if a company never earns money, they can never pay you a dividend. They can't increase the amount of, capital they have to earn even more later on the only thing they can do is take on more debt to try to grow to a point where they can you know start to make money and my suspicion is there's a lot of that going on right now all right i like this so what i want to do now is take a i guess a step forward and be more specific i'm going to Take us through a thought experiment where I'm going to start a business, hypothetically, okay? This this thought experiment is meant to illustrate all these points that we're talking about and kind of kind of paint a little bit of context to a specific example, all right? So in this example, I'm going to start a business. So I register an LLC, which is just a legal entity, which is the company. The company has legal standing, all right? 
I'm going to fund it with my own money, which uh, is not uncommon. There, I mean, some businesses take take like other investors' money to start a company, but some in some cases you can start a company with your own money. Yeah, so, I mean, usually if a company is just starting out, it's like friends and family and yourself and right. your own money. Like just starting out, it's unless you've really, really proven your idea, it's hard to get anyone else to give you money. Yes, good point. So I'm going to take $150,000 of my own money and I'm going to to put it into this company. So this this company, which the business model, I'm not telling you, I'm not going to tell you yet. That'll be revealed later. All right. <laughs> so thus far, I've set up a company um, and I've I've invested $150,000 of my own money. So, so far, this company has $150,000 of assets has zero dollars of liabilities, has zero cash flow, which means no revenue and no expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So if I was to take, in it, if I, at this point, if I was to seek an investor, there's really no point for me to seek an investor because I'm not doing anything with the money. It's just <laughs> sitting there. But for, mm-hmm. but for just hypothetical point, let's just see what happened. If I sought an investor to, to invest and purchase 10% of my company, what would that amount, what would that, cost them. So if I gave them 10% of the company, they would have to give me fifteen thousand, at least $15,000. I wouldn't really want to accept less than that. And they probably right. wouldn't accept more, or they probably wouldn't offer more than that. Um, right. So they would, uh, they would be able to tell me, Hey, I want to own 10% of this company that has 150,000, it's $150,000 of assets. And they say, I'll give you $15,000. I say, sure. Right. So now I am the owner of 90%. They are the owner of 10%. And uh, the company is unchanged. At the, I, I'm an owner of 90%. I received $15,000 from this other investor. And mm-hmm. uh, the company has not changed because it's literally just holding the money. All right. <laughs> well, yeah. taking that money from a foreign investor is actually the same thing as going public, which we mentioned earlier on this podcast. A company can go public. So again, in this scenario there's really no way that this company would be able to go public because there's a lot of <laughs> boundaries to break to be able to go public. But let's just, again, for hypothetical sake, let's say I take this company public, right? So, mm-hmm. but in, so in that example where I took a private investor, in the, it was the first scenario, the second scenario, it's just the same thing except instead of a private investor giving me money for 10%, a stock exchange gives me money for 10% say it could be any amount of the company but you know let's just say 10 percent of the company is sold to the stock exchange um for the same as the private investor for fifteen thousand fifteen thousand dollars so i get a check for fifteen thousand dollars and i say 10 percent of my company is now eligible to be traded on a stock exchange all right so the stock exchange then turns around after paying for the for the equity in the company now can turn around and issue shares of the company. So let's say they issue 15,000 shares of this company. Well, if you remember 10% of the company that's just holding cash, 10% of a company holding $150,000 cash is worth $15,000. And if they issue 15,000 shares that sum up to total $15,000, then each share is worth one dollar. So that, so that company that that company that 
or, so after that IPO, which is initial public offering, which is they turn around and, and take those shares and offer them on the public mark, the pu- the public marketplace called the New York Stock Exchange, for example, mm-hmm. that stock would trade at one dollar per share and would not change. I mean, if it yeah. did change, it would be there would be arbitrage where it would go right back to one dollar. It would stay pretty uh, pretty consistent. Right, like that that the price of this stock. We're all used to looking at stocks and there's like charts and the the prices go up and down and all that stuff. But the price of this stock wouldn't move because all it is is a claim on cash. Exactly. So it's just people would know exactly what it's worth. There would be no imperfect information. Right. So and in this example, people could say, what's your plan with your business? I could say, I'm just holding cash. I'm not doing anything. I'm not even mm. I'm not even generating interest. Like I'm literally just <laughs> the cash is belongs to that company and it's just holding it all right so that right. those stocks would trade relatively well not relatively like almost perfectly stable there would be no price right. changes because there's nothing right. to speculate on there's no disagreement over what this, this stock price it should be because those shares are have a direct calculation right right all right so now's the now for the twist now i unveil my my business model which is my business model is i'm going to Take my take the company and with the money in my company, I'm going to open a trading window where if you come to the trading window and give me a dollar, I will give you a dollar and fifty cents. And I'll do that as long as I can issue money. Right? So that's mm-hmm. just the original hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right? Mm-hmm. So as soon as I make this announcement, I get so much business. Right? <laughs> as soon as I open this trading window, I get a line down the block. Really, every single person that hears about this and trusts that this is a real deal, and it mm-hmm. really should be a real deal because I'm I own a public company, and so whatever I say, I have to kind of follow through with because if I don't, that's actually illegal. If I say something about a public company and I don't actually do it about the company I own, then I can get sued by the by investors because then I'm misleading them, which is actually right. illegal. Uh, so if I say I'm going to do it, I better do it. So these people that line up to get this deal have really no risk because if I don't do it, then they can uh, sue me. So right. once, I've, once I've said I'm going to do this, well, I do it. And let me tell you, <laughs> I sell out in about, well, as soon as the first person is able to, get, to find me and, and give me, you know, for the first person come with $100,000 to give me, I'll give them $150,000. But maybe <laughs> let's say, I, let's say I, I limit it to a max of like, $15 per person, right? Mm-hmm. So I get so many customers. Every single person in the world wants this deal, right? This is the best right. deal ever. I sell out in an hour again because mm-hmm. it's just once people realize that that's a, it's a real deal, it sells out about as fast as the news can spread that I'm doing this, right? But what happens to the stock price in this scenario? As soon as I make this announcement, right, the shareholders can calculate. He's going to sell out and he's losing 50 cents on every transaction that he does. He's mm-hmm. going to be left with $100,000. If he if he gives a dollar and 50 cents out for every dollar that he receives, well he's going to receive $100,000 and he's going to give out $150,000. So at the end of the day mm-hmm. he's going to have $100,000. And the stock price will instantly account for that, right? So it was $1 and now it's going to sell off by exactly that amount exactly 33 percent. so now the stock is right around 66 cents uh, mm. as soon as i make that announcement 
because the shareholders are are holding me to what is very likely going to happen. All right. So now in this next scenario, let's say instead of announcing that I'm j- it's just a one-time transaction kind of thing, I say I actually have a, a broad business model. And that business model is the first day I'm going to do the same deal. So the first day I'm going to take all my money and transact it $1.50 for every dollar I receive. But every day thereafter, I'm going to reduce the amount I pay out by a quarter. So the first day I'll give out $1.50 for every dollar I receive. The second day I'll give out $1.25 for every dollar I receive. The third day I give a dollar for every dollar I receive. And the fourth day I'll give 75 cents to the person who gives me a dollar. So you can see, you can anticipate what that would look like. To a rational person, it's very obvious what will happen. The first day I'll sell out. <laughs> I'll go, I'll, my 150000 will be given out and I'll receive 100000 the second day where I'm offering a dollar twenty-five cents, well now I'm losing one fourth of the money that I'm taking in. So a fourth of a hundred thousand is twenty-five thousand. So on the second day I end up with seventy-five thousand. Mm-hmm. On the third day I will be neutral. It doesn't matter how many customers I have. My money is not going to change because every dollar is tra- is traded for another dollar. On the fourth day. I'm probably not going to get any customers, right? No one wants to enter into that transaction. So an an investor, once I make that announcement, should be able to say, oh, this business model is going to tend to go to equal, his his cash that he's holding is going to equal 75,000 in the long run or in 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 relatively quickly. So the stock very well might go directly to whatever that is, um, Mm -hmm. 50 cents. Uh, you know, I, he's going to lose 50% of his money over the next two days. So the stock price is going to go immediately to 50 cents, say. Maybe there's a little bit of lag because for the time being, I actually do have more money. Maybe the first day it kind of rests at 66 cents and the second day, mm-hmm. then it goes to 50 cents. But really, it's not hard to see what is going to happen, right? Right. But here's the thing. And this is, and this is the point of this thought experiment. If I'm able to convince the investors that after day one, day two, I say, look how many users I have. Look how many, how much business I got. I sold out mm-hmm. in an hour each day and there was a line down the street still. I had hundreds of thousands. I had millions of people that wanted to transact with me that I wasn't mm-hmm. even able to, but I will be able to in the future, right? If mm-hmm. I tell shareholders that, well, <laughs> they could... In the not rational world, in a world of speculation, they could say, look how, yeah, he is getting the users. He's getting, he mm-hmm. has a massive user base, right? After four days, he, if he maintains that user base, he's going to start making a profit. <laughs> so if I'm holding right. the stock, if I have a claim to that, to that money, right? And mm-hmm. after that fourth day, he starts making money. Well, each day thereafter, he's just going to make more and more money. He may make a little bit less because, yeah, people won't be as inclined as they were. They're not getting as good of an exchange rate. But, mm-hmm. who, you know, who can say how many users he'll get when he's actually making money? And at that point, if I think he's going to get enough users, then I think I, I, think I uh, would actually like a share of that income stream. So I'm actually right. going to bid up the price. And so instead of the, the stock price going from a dollar to, to $0.66 cents to $0.50, cents, it might stay at a dollar and say, 
oh, in the future, he might actually be able to make a, a pretty hefty profit with those kind of user, <laughs> with that user right. interaction. So I'm actually going to invest and in, maybe the stock goes up to $3. Now mm-hmm. you can kind of see how ridiculous that would be because no one's going to, I mean, you can't make a prediction. It's really hard to know what users' preferences are in the future. In this example, right. it's pretty easy to know because no right. one's going to just enter into those deals. But now you can kind of see the point I'm trying to make where if the company is losing money today, that says nothing about the number of users it has. Sure, it's a, it may be an indication of the future in a more realistic scenario where an actual transaction is taking place, not just this weird exchange rate kind of thought experiment transaction. Um, right. But that speculation is just that. It's a speculation. No one knows what the future can kind of bear in terms of actual profitability of a company um the the idea that companies could say look at my user base that i developed even though i'm losing money i have a good product that people like that doesn't right. say anything about okay we'll now raise the price and see if they still transact see if you right. see if you're profitable even at that point because if you're not profitable at that point then as jeff was kind of pointing to if you've never made a profit it's really a big deal to make a profit like that's a lot it's a hard thing to do just losing money and gaining users isn't enough to say that in the future you're going to gain a profit. Right. And this gets worse with debt, right? So John can keep his scheme going even longer if he can get a loan. If he goes, oh, look at my, uh, you know, look at my revenue, you know, like I got plenty of revenue and he goes and gets a loan. Now he can take that money he got with a loan and give that out, that money out for free too to people. And like, you know, he's given out a dollar fifty every time someone gives him a dollar. But every time someone gives him a dollar, that's a sale. So that if he does a hundred thousand transactions, then that's a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, right? And so if he if he gets a bank and they give him a loan for you know fifty thousand dollars, then he can get another fifty thousand dollars of revenue, right? But what's important is the earnings because there's a it's like zero is a significant line. In the sand, it's not just like a, it's not as a uh, just a continuum. It's not like negative one dollar to zero to one dollars of earnings is just like a sliding scale. Like those, there's yeah. like a significant difference yeah. between zero, and like negative and positive, right? Because there's infinite ways you can lose money. I I can can't come up with an infinite number <laughs> of ideas right. for companies that lose money. Like there's no <laughs> There's no shortage of those. But there are a finite number of ways you can earn money. There's a lot of them, but they're finite. They're not infinite. Because resources are scarce. And the proper way to use them and allocate them according to how people want them is finite. Right? So you, there's a limited like number of ways you can spend your time uh, and have people pay you for it and have it be like a profit. But there's an infinite ways number of ways you can just waste your time and earn no money. <laughs> right. Right. And like, so this good, kind of goofy thought experiment we just went on. Um, well, what what is that? How, how can we tie that back to real life? Well, this is the actual case we kind of led on to earlier. There are actual companies that have never made a single dollar of a profit mm-hmm. and that have gone public and have lofty valuations that investors are happy to speculate upon 
and happy to bit happy to bid up the price of, of the stock. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Uber is one example, Tesla is another example. I'm not saying that their products are bad per se. You mm-hmm. know, there's definitely value there, and I'm not saying that you know if a Tesla was priced at two hundred fifty thousand dollars per car, they wouldn't sell any. You know, they, if that mm. was where they were profitable and that's where they had to price it to become profitable, you know, they would maybe be able to sell. It's, but again, it's all speculation. You don't know. You don't know. Right. Like, how can you invest in a company that you don't know? You're, you're, you're basically asking for them to pay you back in the future when you're just, you have no idea if they can or not. Right. And so, like, we gave the example of, the, our example was so obvious where it's like, okay, you give me a dollar and I give you two. It's obvious that company's never going to work. Right. And it's not as obvious that it's you give me $30,000, I give you a Tesla. It's not as obvious that that might never work. Uh, but the reality is, a Tesla is a very research intensive, highly engineered, manufactured, very nice, like it's a very sophisticated car. And it's a very nice car. And a lot of people love it. But the reality is, such a car may be really expensive to make and it may be at a price point that no one's willing to pay for it i'm not saying that is the reality but it could be right and so like there's there's a there's a scale in terms of abstraction here right like let's say i took money and bought gold and then sought sell, sold the gold at a lower price than the market price so the price that everyone else is willing to pay for it then everyone's going to buy up my gold right so it's like Gold is good. People want gold. But the only reason my business is selling out is because I'm selling it at a price that's not reasonable and I'm going to lose money at that price. So it's like the price is very important. It's very significant. People go, oh, they're just selling at a discount now. They're losing money now so they can build up a user base. And then once they have the user base, once they have the customer base, they're going to raise their price and then it'll all be good. But the reality is, like the act of raising your price is not nothing. That could be the difference between <laughs> your company working and not working. Right. So it's like this is very important. So the distinction between a company not making money and making money is is, is big. And so 40% of the companies on the S&P don't make any money. Like why does this matter to you? Why, why should you care, right? Well, there's a, if there's a... If any of your money is invested or you have anyone investing your money for you, there's a good chance it's spread around the S&P, some of that money. And so if these 40% of companies truly have no path towards profitability, like they're completely just money losing machines, which I'm not saying they are, but just bear with me on this thought experiment. That means all those companies that cannot make a profit are worth zero. So that would mean 40% of the S&P, its value, whatever it's currently at, is truly actually zero. And so that would mean the S&P is like, you know, 40% of its value could just get wiped out. So you could lose 40% of your money in the event that, you know, we arrive at perfect information and we realize that these these companies are actually never going to make money. Okay? This is purely hypothetical. But the reality is... There's some non-zero probability that these companies all go bankrupt because they're just money losing companies and they're not worth anything and their stocks prices go to zero. 
Okay. And so we're talking, this is, and this is significant, right? When the, when the stock market loses a lot of value, it affects, it hurts the economy because uh, a lot of people plan their spending around their portfolios. If they have like a retirement account or whatever, they look at it and they go, okay, here's my value of my account. You know, I'm free to spend, it's been going up a lot. I'm free to spend a little bit more money. And so when they see that money evaporate, they're suddenly like, okay, what the hell? I got to hunker down, spend less. This is what's called the wealth effect. And people tend to spend more money if they feel like they have more money. And so suddenly when that value disappears, that paper money goes away, then that affects everybody. That affects the entire economy. And its, it's effects are, they permeate throughout everything. And so my opinion is that the stock market right now is really overvalued. And this is just one, this money losing reason is just one example. There's another example that just came out saying that um, the price to sales ratio, meaning, so we talked about the the price of a stock earlier, usually is um, about the company's earnings. Earnings is the same as profit. Right, yeah, earnings and profit. So that's usually, that's like kind of like the main thing that affects the stock price. But again, like we said, some of these companies never even make money. So the only way to really value them is their sales, right? And so you could say, okay, they're not making money, but look at all their sales. And we already talked about why that's kind of BS, but it's relevant. It's not completely irrelevant. It's it's relevant, right? Because you know, if you have a lot of sales, you do have access to a lot of customers. The more sales you have, the more potential there is for profit, potentially. Um, but even then, the stock market is overvalued in terms of the price of these stocks compared to their sales, this is called the price to sales ratio, is the highest it's ever been for the <laughs> S&P. <laughs> right? So, and this this to me is concerning. Um, and yet you don't tend to hear a lot of people talking about this. For every reason that we're, we've mentioned, right, the price of a stock should be very closely linked and impacted by the earnings, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a we live in an economy where there are some companies who have never showed positive earnings who have stock valuations through the roof, right? And that's just right. that's just the extreme. Obviously, mm-hmm. these forty percent of companies we're talking about in the S and P five hundred that lost money in the past year. I mean, yes, obviously that's not. <laughs> That's not indicating that they're going to zero. That happens with companies. Right. Even healthy companies can lose money for a year, right? Just right. from a result of different factors, you know, bad decision making or just tough uh, conditions or, you know, un- unfavorable events like un- like misfortune, unluckiness. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a whole, th- right. it doesn't mean the company is actually going to zero. But what does mean is that the price of the stock should be affected. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That severely that should call into question. Oh, this is a year of, of you know negative profit, no profit, mm-hmm. right? The the price may go down a little bit, may correct a little bit. Say, oh, we thought that they were doing fine, and actually, uh, it's trading at a, a multiple of earnings, which is called price to earnings ratio (PE ratio). It's trading at you know fifteen times earnings, which means it takes fifteen years for the company to earn their cur- current profit. 
to pay back all of the stockholders for the amount that they invested. Uh, not to get too deep into the weeds there, but if a stock is trading at 200 times earnings and then ha- posts a, lose, a money losing year, uh, say that were to happen, say you see that, you, you should say, oh, there's a, well, where's the relevant drop in price of the stock? If there isn't one, you should begin to think, the whole reason we're talking about this, you should just start to begin to think maybe there's other factors going into the price of the stock. In the, the, the thought experiment we went through, it was very easy to calculate what the price of the stock should be at every point. Even when there was speculation, right? A realistic mm. person could be like, no, I'm not. I know for a fact that no one's going to be purchasing anything this company's offering when they're mm-hmm. giving 75 cents in return for a dollar, right? That's easy. That's too mm-hmm. easy. But in an event of a very, you know, complex business model like Uber, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to speculate. But just the fact that it it was able to go public at a very high valuation, never having mm-hmm. make, made a cent of profit, it's just you got to think what other factors are there, which we don't have to get into this episode specifically, but things such as the price of money as determined by the Federal Reserve, um, liquidity availability, which is also a function of the Federal Reserve's uh, right. Yeah, policy. and so I I think. Um, the Fed is is the big player here. Uh, not that every stock market bubble is caused by the Federal Reserve. Uh, the one in the 1920s that led up to the Great Depression, that was not caused by the Federal Reserve. That was just people. People people do this. They do this in every, like all sorts of things. If you ask me, Bitcoin was a was a bubble as well. Um, and there was an example of, they call this, there was like this tulip bubble, like way back when, where the price of tulips went like through the roof because everyone was just like, oh, tulips are going to, like, there's this sentiment that humans always get and it's, it's caused by greed where it's like, if you see the price of something going up, you're like, oh, if I buy it, someone else will pay even more for it. Right, this trend's going to continue. P- humans are great at pattern recognition, so it's like when we see the price of something going up, we see an opportunity. Right, we're like, oh, if I buy, the price is going to keep going up, and then I can sell, and then I get money. But there's a very important ins- assumption there. It's that if I buy this, I'll be able to sell it to someone at a higher price, and that may be true for a while, but it's not true forever. No one's willing to pay infinite money for something. So there's always an upper limit. And as soon as you hit the peak, that means the trend is broken. There's no, you've, you've hit the top. There's no longer anyone willing to pay more than the last buyer. And then suddenly the whole thing's collapse because everyone's got to sell and then the price goes down and it's just the, the, the supply on the market of everyone trying to sell sends the price all the way back to where it started. So these bubbles that are based on just more and more people trying to get in and the demand sending the price up uh, while the supply is fixed, these bubbles don't last, right? And they can happen. They happen naturally all the time. So it is possible for a stock market to, you know, enter a bubble without any uh, interference from anyone else. But uh, I believe that the Fed is, is causing this current stock market bubble because stocks are just a way of taking your cash and having it earn you cash 
uh, passively. But that's not the only way to do this, right? So there's other ways you could, you could buy, uh, you could put your money in a bank and then your banks, the bank's going to lend that money out to people and they're going to um, charge those people interest. And then a portion of that interest they're going to give to you for giving you their money in the first place. And so that's how you make money on interest, right? Or you could buy a bond and the government collects taxes and then pays you interest on that. So there's all sorts of uh, interest is like another way to earn passive income, but the Fed manipulates interest. And so uh, like loans and stocks compete, right? And so if the ability to earn interest is greatly reduced by the Fed, which it is right now, it's like, I'm sure many people have noticed is like, if you have a savings account, the savings account will give you like 1% interest. And you're almost like, what's what the hell's the point? <laughs> like, it it's like nothing, right? It, it doesn't feel like anything. And so are you really going to put that money in a savings account? Or are you going to put it in a stock market that may get like five? You're going to go towards more riskier things because it's like, okay, this this interest is nothing. Like, I might as well do something else. And so it bids the price up. Even if a stock, you know, uh, let's say a, a $10 stock is paying out a uh, $1 dividend. Uh, while interest is 1%, that's like highly attract. That stock's highly attractive because that's 10%. The dividend's 10% of the, the value, right? So that's a way better opportunity. So the lower the interest goes, the more people are going to pile into that stock. So even if that $10, what was a $10 stock is only paying $1, more and more people are going to pile into that. And the dividend could stay a dollar, but the price of the stock might go up to $20. Because more and more people, it's still a better alternative to interest. So the the stock's going to keep going up and up as interest rates go down. Because it's still, as long as it's a better alternative, then more and more people are going to pile into this. And this is a fine trade-off in a free market. Because it, it in a free market, interest rates are determined by risk, right? And so people are able to price things accordingly. But if the Federal Reserve comes in and they lower interest rates artificially, those interest rates aren't lower because, you know, there's more savings out there and there's less risk. Those interest rates are just artificially lower. Like it's, you're, you're not able to accurately identify the risk of things. And that just permeates out through the whole system. And that's why we, we're seeing these sorts of crazy, crazy valuations in the stock market is because, our whole sense of risk is completely screwed up because we have the risk-free option being almost worthless so that it just pushes us more and more into these highly risky things. And it seems like they're not as risky as they are because it keeps going up, but that's just because everyone's piling into them because all the because the interest rates are going down. To illustrate this, people listening might have a, a high-yield savings account, which I do recommend as Jeff said, uh, yeah, it's only like one or two percent interest, which is like not much. It's not really, you know, it's not going to be a replacement of income, but it is better than say having that money in a checking account where you're only getting like point oh one percent. So I would suggest right. if you have a a chunk of money that you need to keep relatively liquid to put it in a high yield savings. But if you notice, if you have this high yield savings account, if you if you look, uh, if you're able to see the historical rates. Um, you know, about a year ago when the, when the Fed funds rate was at, it, 
at the local maximum, the the rate that these high yield savings accounts were offering was like 2.2%. Well, now the mm-hmm. Fed has lowered their Fed funds rate. And now these uh, high yield savings accounts are, well, w- one of them that I was looking at went from 2.2% down to 1.7% over mm-hmm. that same time period. So it's definitely, li- it, the, and that's because it's linked to the Fed funds rate. That's a standard of borrowing through the whole economy. Well, to, to expand that example further to what Jeff was saying, um, say there's an elderly person who's living off their their accrued savings, right? That's mm-hmm. what they, they, they require interest or they require generation of money from the money that they've saved, they've amassed through their life of saving. Well, if the interest rate, say, is 4%, say they have a Say they have a very safe, stable investment. Um, say this is hypothetical where a high-yield savings account, which is relatively uh, risk-free, is able to offer 4%. Say the funds, Fed funds rate is high enough that they get they garner 4% interest off of their savings. And say they saved a million dollars over the course of their life. Well, they I mean, that's $40,000 per year. That might be enough for them to just straight up live on that. Well, if that... Um, if that interest rate goes down, if, if now they're seeing 2%, now they're seeing 1%, well, all of a sudden they lose their ability to live off that amount. So they're forced. They have no option other than to sell well, that, or to pull money out of their high-yield savings and go into a riskier, necessarily by definition riskier, asset that's, that's going to yield a higher rate of interest or a rate of return as the case of stocks. So they're forced to put money into stocks. Well, you don't want someone who cannot work and who has no other way to, to generate income to be investing money into a risky option because by definition, <laughs> a risky option can lose money, right? You're, right. you're going to see an average return of maybe f- 5 or 6 or 7%, but that doesn't mean that any given year it's going to return that the same way as a high-yield savings would. You know, mm-hmm. In a given year, it might be down 10%, it might be down 20%. You know, there are right. years it's down 30%, you know, but there's also years like last year where it's up 30% and and it's up more than that. <laughs> so it, it averages out. But for an elderly person, you can't, <laughs> who can't make a living, you cannot force them into a risky asset. That's the, it's right. very irresponsible for a society to, that does that because that's unsustainable. Once the stock market right. does go down, someone else has got to step in and, and and help them out and maybe they had money in stocks they lost their money too so it's just like it just compounds on itself and it's just the negative part of the business cycle really hits hard it really bites hard and i i think another problem is the fed is currently get dishing out a lot of cash to uh in the repo market and so this provides additional liquidity in the system and that extra cash helps keep volatility which volatility is just like how much things swing up and down in terms of price and so that keeps that really low if you look at like the current volatility it's really really low and so that makes people feel like things are less risky right so if if a if the price of something doesn't swing around a bunch people feel comfortable with it so the perceived risk goes down as volatility goes down but really that's not true. Like just because the volatility is lower doesn't mean something's less risky. It just means exactly that. It's less volatile. It doesn't mean it's less risky. Yeah. Um, and so 
it's because you like the volatility is only in the measured uh, price swings, right? There's still, or there's in the, you know, stuff we've been informed about will move the price, but stuff we don't know about yet can't affect the price because we don't know about it. But there's, there's a whole sort of things that we don't know about that can happen, right? So there's all sorts of, you know, outcomes that could happen that could cause risk that we don't know about and could potentially uh, cause people to lose money. And so I think there's a lot of risk baked into the system right now that people just aren't pricing. And I think that's really dangerous. So I I don't know. I think people got to be a little bit more careful. Um, It seems like there's a lot of just, you know, exuberance and you can see that in the marketplace with, you know, the price of sales where it's at and the amount of companies that, that are listed that lose money. Uh, it seems like no one's really worried at all. Um, and again, yeah, I think that's just because there's risks in the system that people just aren't perceiving. Yeah, there's always risk. All right. Well, I think we should wrap it up there. There's been a major theme that we've kind of been talking about in the latter half of this podcast that we kind of didn't call by name. Uh, and I think I want to do a separate episode about it. So you can see it, this one coming in the future. But it's uh, the th- the uh, the theme that we were talking about is Ponzi schemes. So I want to do a, a, an episode about that. Um, so maybe that will be coming out soon. But uh, Jeff, do you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, we... so uh, if your friend Ted comes up to you with a brilliant idea for... <laughs> to make some money <laughs> and he says hey here i'm gonna give you these energy drinks and then you're gonna you're gonna sell them for me and it's gonna make a lot of money just to, just be a little careful on that one <laughs> love you ted <laughs> <laughs> i'm just playing uh yeah but i was just that was uh, i was referencing a a pyramid scheme which is similar to a ponzi similar, scheme it's not quite yeah. the same thing but it's it's similar yeah and just the, this is not there are lots of companies out there that are, I think, essentially at their core Ponzi schemes that, you know, they they might not be intending to do that, but in fact, they're doing that. And so, you know, do you, you think a Ponzi careful. scheme episode would be a good one? You think we could yeah, I think, we could, I think we could do that. Uh, you know, yeah, never trust, never trust the company, never trust the fart, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll record that directly after hanging up this and in this podcast episode maybe we won't record it for another three weeks you never know yeah <laughs> you never that's know what you get them. when you do less with john <laughs> and jeff we like to keep you guessing <laughs> <laughs> um all right well see you later <laughs> take it easy